MSW Media. How's it? It's Neil Everett from ESPN. You're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. And what we're not drinking is White Claw, no matter what you may have heard. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot of laughing going on here. Welcome to the show, everybody. I am Dan Dunn, and this is the first show of 2020. And we're kicking it off with one of the uh, finest actors in show business. And uh, on top of that, he's one of the finest people I've had the pleasure of knowing in this business. He's Commander Locke from the Matrix movies. He's Dresser from the Five Heartbeats. He's Calvin Swanwick from the Justice League. He is FBI Director Harold Cooper from NBC's The Blacklist. And best of all, he's my buddy. Harry Lennox, everybody. Harry Lennox, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Dad. Just me clapping for you. That's How are you, your, man? Yep, uh, you're a majority of one. It's me. <laughs> We are, uh, first of all, thank you for being on the show, man, and thank you for hosting me. We are doing this at Casa Lennox. Uh, it's a palatial estate in the, what would you call this? Is Baldwin Hills area? This is uh, actually Baldwin Vista. Baldwin uh, Vista. I, I call this place, by the way, the Ponderosa. The Ponderosa. Yeah, you remember Bonanza with uh, I do. Great Lauren Green and I do. Michael Lane, all those people? Yeah. They call that the Ponderosa. That's what this is. Haas will be here later. <laughs> uh, well, we're at the Ponderosa. We're sitting on a deck. I have to tell you, I have not done an episode with a better view than what we have now. Yep. got a panoramic view of all of Los Angeles. You can see the Hollywood sign. Well, you could see it if we weren't engulfed in smog. Yes. Uh, but you get the Hollywood sign. The beach is over to the left. It's just, it's magnificent. And, yep. of, of course, uh, Harry's uh, has a giant... Uh, fields with uh, with vineyards and horses running wild <laughs> out here. It's an amazing thing, and 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 since it is 2020, we're kicking it off, and the show's what we're drinking. We're gonna be doing a little bit of wine drinking, a little bubbly today, a little bubbly and some red wine, and we're gonna be talking. I'm gonna give Harry. I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about some wine tasting tips, Harry. All right. Not that awesome. you're a sophisticated gentleman. You don't need me to tell you, but. I'll tell you anyway, because, you know, we need to fill up space. Um, okay, so we got some, what we got here in the glass, got a little bubbly. This is uh, bubbly from Han, which is a winery up in the Carneros area of Napa. It's a Blanc de Noir. Do you know what that means, a Blanc de Noir? White of the black, I think. That's something like, yeah, it's like uh, me and you. It's like right here, Ebony and Ivory. We got this going. <laughs> so the Blanc de Noir means it's it's the uh, it's the Pinot Noir grape. Okay. Okay, a lot, a lot of times it's made with, with uh, the Chardonnay. I see. But, uh, yeah, so, and this is a 2016 from the Santa Lucia Highlands. It's a uh, delicious wine, I think. And I'm going to cheers to you, buddy, and welcome in the new year. Man, great to be here. There we go. And I'm glad you've taken up residence uh, in my mind of what my vista looks like with the horses and the trails. Isn't the, it? It's so gorgeous out here. Running brooks and so forth. Yeah, there's Lauren Green out in the field and James Garner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, was James Garner? To save off that. Wasn't James Garner on that show? No, he was on oh, Maverick. Oh, Michael Landon. Yeah, Michael Landon. Michael yeah. Landon was on the show. You ever work with Michael Landon? No, I didn't have the pleasure of working with Landon, but I enjoyed him, you know, from 
you know, Little House on the Prairie and all those other things that he did. Yeah, great, great actor. So I had a thought when I was driving over here. I was listening to the uh, to the radio on my way over, okay, yep. and uh, some jamming out. You know how I roll when I'm in the sure. car. Like, I'm just coming Been over. There. People see me, and they're like, damn, that dude is having yeah. a good time. Been there right? with you. And so uh, the song that was on, the first song that got me to thinking about about this was this song uh, right here, which I can only play a little bit of so I don't get sued. Sure. But, uh, <laughs> There's a little underground. Right? <laughs> hump, hump the hump. Right? The humpty dance. Shock G. Then the sound that you're used to. I get funny. <laughs> All right, we get that. So, all right, I'm listening to some of the lyrics. Shot and G, and yeah. Humpty, the guy, the singer, he calls yeah. himself Humpty, he's getting some play in the song, right? He's getting yeah. a lot of play in the song. And I started thinking, uh, and then there was an Alice Cooper song, The Muscle of Love came on, right? Mm-hmm. With the way information is shared and, and the way it spreads and how rapidly it goes today and how quickly society seems to be evolving and that's both in the good way and the bad way what i'm wondering is is someone who makes movies and and television and theater how obsolete is much of the uh of the pop cultural uh, a lot of the film and music that was created say over the last 50 years going to be 10 years from now well, I don't think it would be obsolete at all. I think uh, one of the things about great art is it endures the test of time. And whether you're viewing that on or, or experiencing it in some other platform is really the only question. What technology will be used in order for you to enjoy those things? But like if you look back at these, you know, in the last 50 years, for example, we're in 2020. So let's just go back to 17, 1970, for example. Uh, somewhere around that time, you know, movies like The Godfather are going to, not quite at that point, but Stanley Kubrick movies are happening. Um, uh, Sidney Lumet movies are happening. Like, all kinds of amazing things are being done. you got movies like The Taking of Pelham, one, two, three. These movies are being done and redone, and they're being experienced again and again. So I, I think that really the only question is, where will you be watching? Well, I, Not if you I, Maybe I missed the point. Yeah. What, I, what I was speaking specifically to was the way social mores have changed, that sort of thing. A lot of this stuff was created by men. A lot of this stuff was created by white men. Right. A lot of there's a lot of misogyny. There's a lot of racism. There's a lot. When you when I listen to some of these song lyrics, yeah. I guess it's just happened to me over the over the recent years. Like where I've just become so. I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe he said that in that song. You know, like is that going or is or are they going to be judged poorly because of that? Or do you think that people will understand? Well, this was something of its time. And it's still valid. Yeah. And even though he's talking about grabbing the biscuits or doing all this stuff, stuff you can't do really right. now too much. And yeah, it, it will it endure? That's what I'm wondering. I hear your point, and I think that that's a very valid question. I think that uh, you know already with certain movies, like even Disney movies, they are redacting it. They are editing certain what might be considered scenes out from even some of their animation movies and so sure. forth. I think that uh, that you'll have some of that, but I think that there'll always be the option to see it in its original form. And I and I do think that the the basic qualities, the certain binary um, principles and traits and characteristics of gender, race, uh, culture, all of those things will remain largely the same. 
yeah. of ethnicities. Or, and, I, and I think that uh, to try to deny that is, uh, is getting upon a pretty slippery slope. And I think we're close to that slope. Oh, I think we are, but too. But I think the and thing that will we'll endure, however, are the basic traits of humanity. Well, and, and it's funny you say that because I was driving around with a friend, and she's a lot younger uh, recently, and we were listening to uh, Rod Stewart's uh, Stay With Me, yeah. with The Faces. You know? Sure. Great song. You yeah. Know? But in the morning, don't say me, you love me because I'm only going to kick you out the door. And she's kind of wincing, you know, like that, oh, wow, like that's so sexist. And, and I'm like, God, I fucking love that song. Like, <laughs> can I not love that song anymore? I still want to love that song, you, you know? And, and a lot of movies, too, when I go back and watch them. And I think, man, like it was, uh, I just watched Stripes. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just sure. watched Stripes, and even yeah. in that movie, Bill Murray. you know, you get a lot, of, a lot of stuff where, like, homosexuality is the yeah. butt of the joke. And, and these are jokes that I, I, I think when I was a lot younger, I went, you know, oh, that's really funny. And now I'm watching, I'm going, all right, maybe, you know, I get it, I guess, to a degree. But I also worry that we're going to go too far and that we're not, we're not, it's not a world made of Fabergé eggs, right? You know, we're not, we're not so delicate that we're going to break at every at every little thing, but right. but where do you where do you where do you draw that line? And and, and it'll be an interesting thing to see moving forward. I think it'll be interesting too, just uh, with this kind of you know borderless world that we're in, where yeah. you know boundaries, national boundaries, geographical lines are far less important than what is actually happening in the kind of collective, as it were, uh, spirit. The zeitgeist, as as it were, uh, will always be more or less binary. Something will be either moving or stationary. Something will be either man or woman. Something will be either good or bad, hot or cold. I think once you start to try to uh, make everything the same, to kind of uh, dilute or to uh, regress to the mean. Then, then you're going to have a, a resistance to that because that's the way of nature. And so I think that we'll be okay. I, I really do. And I think the world itself isn't playing by the same kind of politically correct um, social mores, advanced, evolved, progressive, liberal bullshit uh, that has afflicted uh, this country. And I think, and, and again, I think you can see that manifest in the enduring popularity, right or wrong, agree or hate them, love them despise him of Donald Trump. It sort of it sort of represents, as it were, a line in the sand. And that line will always be there no matter how much we wish it might not be. Sure. And what's funny is, you know, people look at Trump, this was going to happen whether it was Trump or somebody else. That's right. There was going to be a figure that was going to come along and draw that line in the sand and say and and again I don't, you know, I don't I don't Try not to get overly political on this show, and but right. I, but I also do see how the push, the the push so hard one way versus the push so hard the other way. Uh, you would think momentum's going to swing it back, and there's going to be a crash somewhere there, right. and then we're going to have to sort it out because I don't know that we can keep going at the rate we're going. Where you've got one side digging in and going, screw that. I'm saying Merry Christmas. 
I'm never saying happy holidays, which is fucking ridiculous. And then you got the other side that's like, oh, you wait, somebody said Merry Christmas to me. I'm triggered. Right. I don't know. I just said Merry what Jesus Christ, whatever. If somebody said happy Hanukkah and I'm not Jewish, I'd be like, great, thank you. Appreciate right, it. Right. Yeah, I'll enjoy Hanukkah that's and right, Christmas right. and Kwanzaa, whatever else, man. I'm good. Anyway. Right. The good news is we got wine. And, yeah, uh, that's right. And, and champagne. And here at the Ponderosa. <laughs> yes, sir. They don't, they, don't, they don't screw around here. I brought my bottle. You You got like a whole kit over here, I brought a nice bottle here. It's a 2015 BV. That's Bouillot uh, Bouillot Bouillot Vignard, which is a delicious wine. Harry loves it. And this is the Tapestry, a very, very delicious wine, $65. It's a uh, Bordel-style blend made with hand-picked grapes. They got got vineyards up there in Rutherford uh, and uh, Carneros and the Napa Valley BV, a legendary winery. I brought it in a bottle. I thought, I'll bring this bottle. We'll pour some wine. Harry and I will talk about wine. And, and the staff here at the Ponderosa was like, no, 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 no. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Lennox does not drink his wine from the bottle. He needs the cancer. Right. And so now. That's right. Don't mess around at the Ponderosa. Let me get bro. to Harry. Let me get you holding up this decanter. I'm going to get a picture uh, of Harry with his decanter. Live action, live action shot I here. do drink BV, by the way. On the show. I look even look drink their whites. Look at Harry with his decanter. There you see that. Ah. <laughs> we'll be putting that up on at the imbiber on the Instagram. You'll see how Harry rolls. When do I get my check? When do I get my check? Can I have some of that? Let me get some of that wine. There you go, bro. I'm All right, here we that. go. I'll put that over the top. Harry's going to pour. We're going to pour some wine. Uh, and then we're going to talk about how to kill it at wine tastings. Yes. I know you please. all want to know. And, and, you know, Harry, these are helpful tips I have put together. I want to know what, if I'm drinking swill or something yeah. well, like and, and BV, which is awesome. The other thing is you don't want to get shown up, you know? Uh, no. Somebody talking about the tones and the notes. There are people, and I'm not one of them, and Harry's not one of them, but there are people who have turned wine tastings into competitions. They want to, yeah. you know, they want to show up and they want to make show everybody how smart they are and how better they are. I don't recommend that. The key is to achieve a happy medium of wine knowledge to know enough so that you're perceived as an, an urbane sophisticate, but not so much. You become an insufferable douchebag. Yes. We don't want that. So, no. master these six rules, Harry. Yes. And you will kill it. What's one? At wine tastings without looking like you just <laughs> matriculated at Asshole University. Now, first, let's cheers this wine before cheers. we go and have Smudge. a sip of that. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Don't I have to smell it first, then? Oh, oh man. So, we already screwed up. All right. We're nosing yeah. it. We're nosing I'm it. I'm nose it. What are you getting on that? What's the nose you're getting there? Grapes? I mean, I can smell it. There's a lot of body in it. Ooh. It's very nice. It's not in any way sharp on the tongue or in the palate. Um, in the roof, it's, it's very smooth. It's very. It's a it's a it's a yeah. clean, crisp. It's like Seven Up, but wine. <laughs> All right. Rule number one is know your go-to modifiers. Look, wine tasting is subjective. Isolating and identifying what's happening flavor-wise in any given vintage is a crapshoot for all but the most refined palates. Luckily, even when you're at a loss to pinpoint precisely what it is you think you're tasting, if you know these five simple words, no wine snob will ever look at you sideways. And they are as follows. Complex, balanced, layered, intense, and well-rounded. Can use them for anything. Can you? It is Complex, like it balanced, is, layered. Yeah. Uh, well-rounded, 
intense. 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 It See. is. It's like it's. It's intense. So it's the kind of bullshit you can get away with. It's like when a psychic tells you yeah. they sense that you're worried about affairs of the heart or money, right? You right. know, they just. It's it, you can't mess it with it. Uh, bonus tip: when it comes to the nose, you mentioned earlier smelling. When it comes to the wine's nose, the bolder the better. Mm. You can rarely go wrong, no matter what you say. Trust me, the second someone suggests hints of yak wool or <laughs> banana oil in a Pinot Gris, everyone right. else around you will just start nodding. Right. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. All right. <laughs> Number two is ditto for your aphorisms. You would think that original ideas would be embraced in a room full of intelligent people at a wine tasting, and you would be wrong. Say something like, what the hell does Robert Parker know anyway? Mm. Fuckers may stone you to death. Instead, stick with bromides, Harry. Okay? Okay. Such as wine is made in the vineyard, not the winery, and the numerical score <laughs> system employed by the mainstream wine media <laughs> is bogus, or better yet, oak should not go into Chardonnay. And that last one's got the adage advantage of being true. Oak okay. shouldn't go into Chardonnay? Yeah, I'm not an oaky Chardonnay. You like oak in your Chardonnay. Man, I like, a, I like, a, uh, I like layers. In my Chardonnay. I like him balanced. Intense. <laughs> I like balanced. See, he's getting it already. Here we go. We're getting it already. Um, so, uh, where the hell were we? Oh, Jesus, Harry. Come on. Excuse Don't break me. your glasses. All right. Number three. Mem- memorize a triple crown of vintages. Okay, so we're, we have a BV. We have a Napa wine here. So yeah. we're talking Napa Valley. Very good. The mere mention of the following three Napa vintages at a wine tasting is like shouting, hey, look, it's Bono. They are 1997, 2007, and 1994, okay? 94, 97, 2007. 2007, yeah. You say, you're talking Napa wine, you go, oh, yeah. And then once you've stopped everyone in the tracks, you use this as a springboard into a subject matter you're more familiar with. As in, oh, yeah, that 1997 Opus 1 is a real killer. Did you know that in 97... Wu-Tang Clan and, Rage, Clan and Rage Against the Machine joined forces on one of the most testosterone-adrenaline-filled tours of all time? Yeah. See, there you go. By the way, I also did a play in Chicago in 1997, which is one of my uh, earmarks. Uh, I did the play by the great August Wilson, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom at the Goodman Theater. Uh, and I didn't have wine, and I was at that point drinking bourbon. Really? During the show? No. Oh, are you? Ca- what is that saying? <laughs> is that what is it? He's a what professional, for God's sakes. Rhetorical? Uh, is that rhetorical? Can you give me a line from the play to see if uh, jog my memory? Y'all don't know nothing about me. You don't know nothing about the blood I got beaten through my veins. Man, that's a beautiful play. Uh, an anguished uh, pain, as it were, to the experience in ra- of race. In the 1920s, that was actually set in 1927. It is the only one, uh, for all of the nerds out there, of August Wilson's plays that was not set in Pittsburgh. It was set in Chicago with the great Gertrude Ma Rainey and a cast of otherwise fictitious characters. Magnificent play. Wow. I just dropped my glass. <laughs> I'm Muzzles. so blown away by this. Uh, okay. Rule number four. I don't know. Actors, you gotta watch out for these actors. They'll just steal my thunder right now. Uh, Rule number four is be obnoxiously deep in one area. Okay. Okay. Now be careful here, Harry, because this skirts close to wine snobbery, but it can be very helpful to have just one area of serious knowledge you can use to brush back and know it all when he tries to hijack the conversation and mess with your game. 
For me, it's corks. Yes. Corks, wine corks. I know all about the com- chemical compound known as TCA. That's the naturally occurring fungi that makes good wines go bad. Aware of this. Uh, I'm also uh, well-versed in the relative merits of cork alternatives, screw caps, agglomerates, vino seal, etc. Carefully deployed, this knowledge can make you look like a badass without moving you into blowhard territory. The key is to drop some obscure nuggets of wisdom, say high-tech cork-based closures made of cork granules mm. that have undergone CO2 saturation that the snob then has to ask you to explain. Be brief about it. Instant panty remover. Oh, hey, wait. Buddy. Can I say that anymore? No, I you can't. Can, Damn it. Like yeah. the, uh, the Mexicans call it Baja Panty. Baja Panty? Baja Panty. The lower the panty. But <laughs> I can tell you I was in Portugal with my wife. Okay. Uh, I will mention the Baja Panty with that situation. That said, <laughs> they have cork trees where they get the Go best on. corks in all of the world. In Portugal. In Portugal. That's right. <laughs> Number five is a quick one, Harry. Don't slurp, don't spit, don't use the phrase nice legs. It's a wine wine tasting, not a construction site, all right? Uh, Look at the legs on that, right? Aren't there certain oils that allow it? Yeah, it's it's that stuff, yeah. And finally, number six, embrace embrace the value play. Nothing gets the snob stink off you faster than being contrary about the expensive stuff. Yes. If you know a few excellent bottles in the $10 to $20 range, it lets you drop statements like, I put a $16 McPherson Pinot Noir up against a $100 Calera any day of the week. And when they tut and fush, just say, no, really, with the money I save, I can afford to go see Harry Lennox's new play Mm -hmm. twice. That's right. You are doing a new theater, right? I am doing a new theater, but uh, you you might need a little bit more than uh, 84 (laughs) bucks, I think, if I do the math right. All right. Uh, Yeah, Chicago, thank you for... Teeing that up, please. uh, For teeing that up. uh, Building the Lillian Marcy Center for the Performing Arts. On the south side of Chicago, in, in Bronzeville, historical area where the great Duke Ellington, Ida B. Wells, Muddy Waters, all these people have some claim to this place. Uh, the great uh, Nat King Cole, of course, went to Dunbar High School, well, less than a mile away. And so we, we are um, excited about this. It'll be what I'm hoping will be the Black Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts, which is a legendary place in New York City. Yeah. John Rockefeller originally sort of uh, put the money aside and, and bought the land, John Rockefeller Jr., actually. And uh, to this day, it remains uh, the kind of exemplar of excellence in the performing arts. And they are a performance arts campus. And on that campus, they have American Ballet Theater. They have the Lincoln Center Theater Company. They have the New York Metropolitan Opera. They have uh, Juilliard. They have the David Koch Center for it, where you do great uh, classical works and so forth. And they have uh, movie theaters, all kinds of... Uh, so you want to do this in Chicago? I want to do this in Chicago on a, on a more specified scale. Uh, Lincoln Center has a great, uh, you know, base, a kind of broad palette, a template, um, for a temperature even for what they put or what they present or what they allow to be rented there. You can do shenyon and all these things. And so we want to be able to house oratory, all of, the, all of what I consider uh, the great examples of performance arts in black culture, which is music, drama, theater, dance, oratory. Um, Wait a minute. That sort of thing. You saying white people didn't make that up? 
<laughs> you know, it's a very interesting thing. Hotel Cheers. It's a very thing. You Do not go there, Harry. That's Elvis true. Presley invented rock and roll. Well, that's all I'm saying. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? He was the king, they say. But uh, I would <laughs> he say, you know. That shit to me. By the way, <laughs> by the way, I actually heard Chuck D, you know, that's famous line in, uh, in uh, Fight the Power when he says Elvis was a hero to most. But he ne- you want the bubbly? Yeah. But he never meant shit to me. Yes, he's straight out racist. That sucker was simple and plain. It's not true, though. Motherfucking man, John Wayne. And Chuck D came out later and said that was not true. It was bullshit. And yeah. he regrets writing that yeah. because Elvis was actually one of the first white artists to actually employ and and, right. and, and, and actually give credit to the artists that he was, you know, stealing from. But uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not saying Elvis, St. Elvis Presley or anything, but, but of course, you know, uh, all things being relative. Uh, even compared to today, all of this neo-progressive uh, bullshit uh, is is a ruse. But there are certain people, I, I, I would even include Sinatra in that, uh, you know, who made sure that the people they rolled with and who they were quoting and who they were citing and who they were influenced by received credit, compensation, all sorts of other uh, um, acknowledgement that they did not get from the mainstream, and so I, I have great respect uh, for Elvis. Of course, he had his issues, but so do we all, you know. And, and, and but that said, you know, this Lillian Marcy Center, I am dedicating that to what I call the perpetuation of the diasporic aesthetics. When the black people were uh, traded by the Africans to the Europeans, the Arabs, and so forth, other people. To the New World uh, and Europe, that was called the gr- the Great Diaspora, the dispersing of a group of people. Uh, that yielded an art form that is the only original art form in the United States of America. The only other thing that can claim that credit are certain Native American decoy, duck decoys, and so forth, yeah. which were made as an artistic expression. But the only artistic expressions that are indigenous to the United States are the blues, jazz, uh, j- and um, spiritual music, gospel music, all of these things, um, a certain kind of style of literature. But the only indigenous form is a musical form created by the so-called African American, the so-called black or Negro person in the United States. That's a fact. When is this going to come to fruition? We think two years, Dan. We think two years. We're cleaning Can I up come? Now. Uh, Even though I'm... You will get a, an honorary <laughs> blue-eyed soul Can I be card. on the board? <laughs> you will get your can honorary you, blue-eyed can soul brother card. Can you godfather me in? Agreed yeah. yes. You're in. <laughs> Black, you know, the great out of Clayton Powell. I played out of Clayton Powell, uh, He had this great phrase, and I think this is true. We have a great friend named Grady Hall in common. Yes, we do. Uh, filmmaker. Grady, a filmmaker, writer, great pitcher, professional athlete. We call him a blue-eyed soul brother, but he reminds me, as you do you, of what Adam Powell said, which is that black is a state of mind. That's right. Black is a state of mind. You know, I got cousins that just came back from I New I think Orleans. that every time I drop it's my drawers. <laughs> <laughs> You're, take, oh you're taking it easy, man. That, that's not intense at all. 
That's not layered. And from there, I'm going to segue right into this. We got a quick uh, bit of business to take care of. Harry does love his whiskey. We talked about it earlier. Yeah. Uh, and I want to tell you, Harry, about the Burning Chair Bourbon from Savage and Cook. In 1998, when he was just 25 years old, uh, onophilic phenom Dave Finney founded Orrin Swift Cellars, promptly turned it into a behemoth. Okay. On the strength of a powerful Zinfandel-driven wine such as The Prisoner. Remember The Prisoner, right? Yes. Okay. Today at 46, he's wowing the whiskey world with the burning chair, Harry. Burning chair whiskey. I would have brought it for you, but I'm all out. It's as a bourbon produced at his newly built Savage and Cook Distillery on Mare Island in Viejo, California. You know where Mare Island is? It was the first uh, uh, naval base on the Pacific. Uh, is John Mayer any relation to M-A- it? Yeah, exactly. And he plays there every year. Um, uh, so he makes this whiskey up there. He finishes it in, in barrels that he, he used to make his Cabernet projects. Uh, and what goes into this non-traditional uh, black bottle is a lively spirit boasting an array of pleasantries, including vanilla, bean, maple, and baked apple flavor. All right, Harry? And, when, and you have it. Sweetness gives way to the bite of the citrus X. Barrel char creates great balance, complexity, intensity, I'm not Layers. bullshit. Well-rounded. Well-rounded. Yeah. And balanced. one of the industry's true iconoclasts, <laughs> this is boho booze at its best. And finally, before I let Harry go here, I want to, since we are doing wine, I'd like to present some of the more terrible things that can happen to wine between the ground and your mouth, okay? This, uh, I should probably, should I, should I do this little intro? Yeah, go ahead. This is Buzzkill. A glossary of wine nightmares. <laughs> okay. First one, Harry. You, do you know what a, a bread and no mices? You know what bread and no mices are? Oh, no, are? I don't. Okay. This is a spoilage yeast that causes barnyard Ugh. aromas and flavors in wine. It's often referred to as brett, which means statistically, there's 90% likelihood to share either the name of your freshman year RA or that dick from high school who stole your girlfriend. Brett, Brett, not Brecht, not Brett old Brecht. Brett, B-R-E-T. Okay, B-R-E-T. Next okay. one is volatile acidity. Okay, I know what that is. This is a, an undesirable amount of acidity that gives a wine a sour, vinegary edge. I dated that girl. Yeah, that girl. Okay, yeah. there you go. Right. It's the Twitter troll, yeah. a troll of winemaking. Okay, corked is when a tainted stopper causes wine to taste like Grandpa's been rubbing it with his taint. That's corked wine. We have phylloxera. Do you know what phylloxera is? No, but it sounds like a Yiddish word meaning something. Put it in terms you can understand here, Harry. <laughs> if vineyards were network TV shows, yes. then phylloxera would be Matthew Perry. If it, ah. gets, if it gets into your vineyard, it will inevitably kill it. <laughs> Unless he has friends. Like my buddy, David Schriver. Friends is great. I'm not here show. to make fun right, of Matthew Perry, right. even though I just did. All right. Uh, Pierce's disease... If vineyards were L.A. comedy clubs, Pierce's disease would be Dane Cook. It just shows up sometimes out of the blue. It's incredibly hard to stop, and there's nothing funny about it. <laughs> oh, damn. But I'm bummed. Berry rot. Berry rot. You got this one, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, Berry sure. rot. You got this. Um, oxidized. <laughs> that, and oxi- that, that you know what oxidized? You've heard that. Yeah, that's, that's when oxygen yeah, disturbs. When the wine has been exposed yeah, too long to too air and taken on a, a brownish color. Nobody wants that. It's lost its fresh and it's begin to smell of rotten fruit. Who wants that? See also David Lee Roth. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I still get that cold from the, from the holidays. Get the um, flu shot next year, buddy. Bottle shock. 
bottle shock. Yeah, when you a, jostle the bottle. Yep, it's a and condition you disturb, to you bruise the fruit. Bad handling. It's also a forgettable 2008 flick about that time Alan Rickman saved America from the French. Hey, man, I did a movie with Alan Rickman. I know you did. What Come was on. it called? Bob Roberts. You don't know about Bob. I, do I know Bob Roberts? The times on, they are man. a changing back. There you go. <laughs> that was a Tim Tim Robbins movie, man, about a, a conservative Day. folk singer. That's right. Every you know whose movie was his first role was in that movie? Jack Black. That's my buddy. He played the well, crazy back in the day. He crazy was a nut dude. Job yeah. at it. He Jack Black. He was the breakout guy, evidently. It was amazing. Um, and then finally, Mercaptans. Mercaptans, Mercaptans. It's right, a brother. volatile sulfur compounds that can occur in wine. Imagine a skunk yes. ate another skunk, then took a dump in your wine. It's worse than that. So I'm thinking about our last time together. <laughs> <laughs> you did a rim shot, brother. And uh, I, you know what? I do need. I do need the rim shot. And. Uh, I gotta say, oh, when the music comes on, you know what yeah. happens? That shit's uh, gonna, shit is about to go down in the Ponderosa. We got some wine, we got some bubbly. We just gotta turn this shit off and get going. We um, got some women and some song too. That's right, that's right. I remember, like Harry said, you're only as black as you imagine yourself to be. Black as a state of mind. Black as a state of mind. I said. Um, so Harry, you got the blacklist. That's on NBC. Yeah. Yes. Where else can people see you these days? Bro, I do billions. Uh, oh, that's right. Showtime. Billions. I got a show coming up with the great Damian Lewis. And I did one. I did a scene with the great Condola Rashad and Paul Giamatti. Listen, I'm. I'm uh, and I did Grady Hall's movie Winter Ball. You have to look for this. We shot it in the Dominican. It's great about baseball, the American pastime. I love it. Well, Harry Lennox, I, uh, you're not on the social media, right? You're not doing Yeah, I'm on the social media, man. I'm on Instagram at What's Harry your, Lennox. At I'm Har- on Twitter at Harry Lennox. I'm going to take some pictures of Harry. I'll post them on at the Imbiber. Um, I, I need to remind you, everybody out there, this is Drinky. No, this is, uh, what is the show called? Drinking with Dan Dunn. Well, we're drinking with Dan Dunn. <laughs> and I'm here to remind you that the best things in life aren't things. <laughs> love it.